0: SBS Radio. I'm Bertrand Tungandame, and my guest is Michael Bell, Indigenous liaison officer at the Australian War Memorial. Michael Bell is joining us at NITV Radio in the context of Vietnam Veterans Day to explore with us the story of Indigenous men and women who served in the Vietnam War and their enrollment in the army in debatable conditions. First of all, welcome to NITV Radio, Michael.
1: Yes, good afternoon, Bertrand. Thank you for having me, and um. Happy to share some further stories of research and ongoing project of identification and recognition of Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander service people.
0: Yeah, last time we caught up, we were actually uh, doing this study to identify Indigenous men and women who served in, uh, well, who fought in Australia's wars. But this time, we're talking in particular of those men who served in the Vietnam War, and you've identified actually more than 250 of them.
1: That's exactly right, yes Bertram. um, Tomorrow we're releasing the names of the first batch, Um, that's 251 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men that we um, want to encourage other community members to have a look at our uh, website and have a look at the list and if we have missed your family or your soldier or indeed the soldier themselves, he may still be with us, to give us a call and let us know so that we can include and make sure that his service and um, contribution gets recognised.
0: It's very important to recognise these men and women as uh, joining the army for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men and women at that time was fraught with uh, almost insurmountable difficulties.
1: It was a, um, a period of transition for um, most Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander servicemen enlisting into the army or the discriminative acts of the Defence um the 1903 defense act had been removed in 1949 so it wasn't as difficult for our men to get into the regular army as it had been in previous conflicts although aboriginality was still a, a a reason for exemption from conscription so depending on the um attitudes of the recruiting officer some men were rejected because of Aboriginality but most were accepted and especially there was, a, an ad, there was a an excuse available for Aboriginal men not to respond to conscription but what we're finding is that we've got a lot of examples of men who responded to conscription to the call-up they were told they were uh, not eligible because they were Aboriginal but then volunteered as citizens. So it's that transition period, it's basically after the 1967 referendum but before the policies and um, management of our people had started to change at a federal level,
0: yeah. In your research, you say that some people would be rejected just only to go out and come back through another door and uh, re-enlist uh, in a different way and uh, get accepted.
1: Yes, that's that's exactly right. We have numerous examples of that, and what we're referring to them as as conscripted volunteers because you had to legally respond to the the call-up, the conscription. If your lottery number came out and that was the birth date, month and year, you, you were to go down and you got the mail and you had to go down and get your call-up response um, stamped. A lot of our men, they were told then and there that, oh, you don't have to respond, you're Aboriginal, you can go. But what we're finding is numerous examples of our men saying, well, I'm I'm here to do my duty, I'm going because all of my mates are going and I want to do my job my my job and my duty. So they walked out, got the, their their um, conscriptions card marked and stamped as they were there, then walked around to the side door, like out the side door, then back in the front door and then volunteered at the same time so that they were taken in the same intake as where they were supposed to be despite being rejected on the base of Aboriginality in to answer the call for conscription.
0: I can see the period as um, one of uh, some uh, interesting legal battles uh, surrounding mandatory conscription on one side and uh, proving one's Aboriginality on the other side.
1: There's some interesting legal battles that happened at the time about what actually constituted an Aboriginal. And um, there were some cases in the definitions of Aboriginality was questioned by the Department of Defence and also the Department of Labor at the time because... um, they considered aboriginal people living in an urban setting not to be aboriginal and so there was a lot of test cases around surrounding conscription um you'd have to speak to a legal expert to have find out how the result of that but it was again that transition period after the 67 referendum but before federal governments and federal departments had started to work out how to manage and best um, Implement policies that were y- going to be utilized for the management of Aboriginal people nationally
0: and Vietnam war is not that far away it 's not like uh, the European wars uh, Vietnam war is closer to us, so you would have been able to speak to some um, veterans or maybe many of them were still
1: alive Yes, yeah, we have a number quite a number of known vet- Aboriginal veterans that, that I, I deal with. Um, on a, on a weekly basis at least, but we're always chatting and we're all go, always going. We, the Australian War Memorial work closely with the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Veterans and Services Association, which is a body set up for Indigenous veterans, and we um, work closely with them to help um, provide services and adjust and represent the needs of our veterans, and we also look forward to utilising those... Um, those stories in schools and talks around NAIDOC and representations on Reconciliation Week and Anzac Day and, and Remembrance Day, we always use utilising the resources of our existing veterans um, in that nature because we're using them to help um, the modern generation know and understand the sacrifice and service of our men and women.
0: Yeah. and do these men tell their stories? Their experience being in and uh, in the army when, well, discrimination was still prevalent. Uh, how were they treated in the army? Do they tell these stories?
1: Mostly, they mostly they reflect that there was very little racism once you got into service. It was very difficult getting out in in, in and out of the army because of the. The different treatment of our people, and under the different uh, legislation, especially when we're still being managed under the protector of various protector of Aboriginal Acts. But it's an interesting one. As with most of the um, veterans at saw service, they don't speak so much about the atrocities of war or what they actually went through. They speak about the mateship and friends that they've forged in those those times. They speak about. That part of their service as opposed to the the ugliness of war and and the repercussions of having to um, be a young man and see those types of things they they hold that and again you'll find with non-indigenous brothers and sisters is the same way they they don't speak of the uh, the bad side they speak of the good side the mateship the friendship the acceptance in those types of good times that they had with their friends all the while underlining, you can hear the tone in their current, knowing that it's not all um, chocolates and roses.
0: Yeah, and again, going back to the discrimination or that that existed in your research, you mentioned a 1971 uh, recruitment ad that lists Aboriginals as exempt. This is illegal. Yeah. How could they get away with this?
1: Well, this is this is um, again reflecting of that transitional nature where despite the act having removed the the racist statement about the the recruitment and enlistment of Aboriginal people is not desired nor required but it was transitioning from the 67 where the federal government still hadn't um, implemented policies for the management of Aboriginal people fully because there was a prevailing attitude that Aboriginal men and women were um, previously exempt and they thought that they wouldn't be accepted by their non-indigenous brothers and sisters so it was just a hangover from the old way of thinking and not reflecting that the service that our men and women had prior had given to the country in the previous first world first and second world wars and the korean war and indeed malaya and um those smaller peacekeeping efforts that we've we'd been we had been serving in it's were not considered racist because it was policy, and that's what the problem is. People don't realise. In 1971, there was still a still an exemption to serve in national service because of your aboriginality. But our men didn't. A lot of our men didn't take that as a reason not to enlist. They still enlisted, and were accepted as a civilian to enlist normally. So it's it's really that crossover period between between transitions of federal and um, state legislations. Yeah,
0: and now you've identified 150 men and women. There could be more. How many more do you think there could be?
1: Uh, We're thinking that it'll probably get to about 500 in the fullness of time. Um, I've already got um, another 120 records that I'm reviewing at the moment or names that have been given to me that I've got to process for um, to meet to mention those to match the two components, aboriginality up the name, and then also a service record, so that we can um, accurately reflect the service of our men and women. And also, we're also trying to manage how we talk and how we recognise the service of our men and women who didn't actually get into the active service component, um, and men and women that were serving in the regular army here, in fact, or they were in in um, bases that weren't overseas so you're still providing a service to the army but you might be you know an arms depot in um in say singleton or you know in a navy base in albatross down at um on rec bay those types of areas still need to be um, recognized for service although not being technically considered a vietnam veteran so it's it's a bit of a um transitional period at the moment this list but we're we're still recognising all service and sacrifice of our men and women who put the uniform on.
0: Yeah Michael Bell before I let you go maybe something you'd like to add or a closing word?
1: What I'd like the people to do as always is to go to our website at australianwarmemorial.gov.au have a look at the list yourselves and let me know if we've missed your your family member who has served. And that goes for the First World War, Second World War and now the Vietnam War. We also have a list of females. And what we want to do is make sure that we share your story. I encourage all of the um, veterans themselves, their families, their descendants to go and have a look at the list just to make sure. I want to make sure that we tell everybody's story, but we can't tell the story unless we know about those people.
0: Michael Bell, Australian War Memorial Indigenous Liaison Officer, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today
1: not a problem. Thank you very much. Want to hear more stories like this? Listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from.